Chapter 8. The sound Peter most loved in the world, the leather-to-leather smack of a ball and glove, was so real in his dream that he smiled as he opened his eyes, and then yelped in shock. A woman stood over him, tossing a baseball into a glove. She wore patched overalls with faded bandanas knotted along the straps, and her hair was a spiked mess that shook as she cocked her head to study him. He scrambled backward along rough wooden floorboards, crying out again, this time at the pain shooting up from his right foot. It all came back fast. In rising panic, he looked around for his pack. There it was, behind the woman, its contents strewn across the floor. She came closer and thumped the ball into the glove a little harder. His ball, and his glove, Peter realized. The ball that had been in his pack, the glove he'd been sleeping on. He strained up. Hey, that's my stuff. What are you doing here? At that, the woman threw back her head and barked something between a laugh and a snort. She pitched the ball and glove away and crouched down to eye him, one hand wrapped around a clutch of feathers she wore on a rawhide strip around her neck. This close, Peter could see that she wasn't as old as he thought. Not much older than his father, anyway. A single gray streak bolted through her hair, but her skin was smooth. When she narrowed her eyes and snapped her fingers at his face, it dawned on him that the woman might be crazy. No, 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 no. This is my barn you broke into, so what are you doing here would be my question. Peter scooted back. Crazy or not, the woman standing over him had a wall full of hatchets and skies behind her, and he was one foot short of running a running pair. Okay, right, I hurt my foot last night. I passed your barn, and I needed a place to stay, so look, I'll go. Not so fast. What do you mean you passed my barn? This is private property, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. The woman straightened to her full height, and Peter edged back even farther. I I, I was taking a shortcut home from the practice he'd been to the day before flashed before him. He nodded to his ball and glove from batting practice. You were coming home through my land from batting practice? Then the first thing I am wondering is why you don't have a bat. She tossed a hand toward his stuff. Why you carry a roll of duct tape, garbage bags, and a charm bracelet, clothing, food, and water. But no bat? Eh, boy? The way she said boy, silky and stretched out to two syllables, made him realize she had the hint of an accent. Only a hint, as if sometime in her childhood, people around her had spoken a language that was close to singing. Well, I I left it. A bat's heavy to carry around. The woman shook her head again, and this time she looked disgusted. She yanked up the the left leg of her overalls. Below the knee, her leg was as was a rough wooden post. She stabbed it down beside Peter. Now this leg, oh this leg is heavy, boy. Solid heart pine. But I carry it around, don't I? The woman peered down at it and seemed to discover something she didn't much like. She pulled a knife from her belt and, with a flick of her wrist, shaved off a chink from just above where her ankle would have been. Then she straightened to face Peter again, the knife jabbing directly at him. So let's try one more time because I am very curious now. If you were at batting practice, how is it you don't have a bat? Peter dragged his gaze up to the woman's face and then back down to the knife. The blade gleamed long and thin with an evil-looking curve to it. She was probably crazy, all right, probably worse. His heart stuttered in his chest, and his mouth was a desert, 
but he managed to answer. I don't own one. The woman flashed half a grin and a quick wink. Better. Yes, that has the fill of truth. What's your name? Peter told her. So, no bat, Peter. What's this about your foot? Peter kept his eyes on the knife as he peeled the sweatshirt from his foot. The pain of just that slight movement shocked him. Shudders racked him. And for the first time, he realized how cold he was. I twisted it. The woman crouched down, her wooden leg angled out awkwardly. Peter looked away. Don't move. Before he could even register what was happening, the woman slipped the cool blade of her knife inside his sock and with a quick stroke slid it open. He pressed his lips together to keep from crying out. His foot was as dark and swollen as an eggplant. You walked on this? Peter pointed at the branch beside him. I broke it off, made a cane. His finger was shaking. He dropped his hand. The woman nodded again and then cupped her hands around his heel. I'm going to move this around, she yarned. She warned, you ready? No, don't touch it. But the woman began to probe his foot, calling commands. Move your big toe. Now all of them. And the foot, side to side. Peter winced at the pain, but he did everything she asked. You're lucky, she said, setting Peter's foot down onto his sweatshirt. A non-displaced fracture of the fifth metatarsal. That's a single clean break in the outermost bone of the foot. Lucky? How is a broken bone lucky? The woman reared back, slammed her wooden leg down near the hand, and then stabbed her blade into the wood. Oh, I don't know. Let's see. How is only a broken bone lucky? Okay, okay, I get it. Sorry. She tugged the knife from her leg and pointed at it at him. You're young. You'll be in a cast for maybe six weeks. He'll just fine. How do you know this stuff? Are you a doctor or something? I was a medic. Another life. The woman hoisted herself up and looked down at Peter as if she'd just put it together. A runaway. She crossed her arms over her chest and cocked her head at him. Yes? Are you running away? No, no, I was just out hiking. She clapped her hands to her ears and frowned. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. My lie detector was going off. Try again. Are you running away from home? Peter sighed. Not exactly. Then what exactly were you doing last night, passing through my land, with your extra clothes and your supplies, no bat, Peter? Well, I'm not running away from home. I'm running away to home. Oh, that's a twist. Continue. Peter looked out, <clears throat> Peter looked out the window over the workbench. Tall pines pierced a pale morning sky, and a bunch of crows argued noisily in the top branches. If there were a story he could tell that would get him out of this barn and back on the road to Pax, he would tell it. He would disappear into that day, fractured fifth metatarsal and all. But if such a story existed, he couldn't think what it was. He slumped against the wall. The war. It's heading for our town. They'll take the river. My dad had to go serve. My mom died, so it's just us. So we, he brought me... How old is your fa this father of yours? What? He's 36. Why? Then he didn't have to do anything. If there's a draft, it's for 18 to 20-year-olds. Still, kids, easy to brainwash. So if your father went, he volunteered. It was his choice. Let's start the story off with the truth. That's the rule around here. Okay, sure. He chose to go. And he brought me to my grandfather's and... And you didn't like it there? That wasn't it. It was... Uh, could you put that away? The woman looked down and seemed surprised to find the knife in her hand. Such bad manners, Vola, she chided herself. We've forgotten how to behave with a guest. She tossed the knife onto the workbench. Go on. Okay, I had a fox. I have a fox. 
We turned him loose. We left him on the side of the road. My dad said we had to, but I should never have done it. Since the instant they've driven away, Peter had been tormented by the things he should have said to his father. They all came rushing out now. I raised him from a kit. He trusted me. He won't know how to survive outside. It doesn't matter that he's just a fox. That's what my father calls him. Just a fox. As if he's not as good as a dog or something. Yes, yes. You were plenty angry, so you ran. I wasn't angry. I'm not. It's it's that my fox, he depends on me. I'm going to go back and get him. Well, now you're not. Change of plans. No, I have to get him and take him home. Peter rolled to his knees, swallowing the gasp of pain that shot from his foot. He grabbed the branch and tried his weight on it for a second, then sank back down, exhausted from just that. Now, you still think this? How far away did you leave him? 200 miles, maybe more, Peter admitted. Fola snorted. You wouldn't make it two miles now. You'd be nothing but bear bait out there. That is, if you didn't die of hypothermia the first night. You won't be able to move enough to keep warm. She leaned back against the workbench, winding a scarf around a finger, and Peter could tell she was trying to figure something out. She didn't look as crazy now, just deep in thought, and maybe worried. Then she seemed to come to a decision. Someone is bound to come looking for you. I can't have that. I need you gone. But I can't send you out like this. I have enough on my conscience. I will bind that foot and give you something for the pain, something that's legal to give a child. And then? I'm not a child. I'm almost 13. Bola shrugged. And then you will leave. There's a garage not far down the highway. Call this grandfather of yours. Have him come get you. I'm not going back. I'm going to get my fox. Not like this, you're not. You cannot bear weight on that broken foot until the bone heals. Six weeks at least. Maybe you try again then. Six weeks? No, that would be too late. My fox. Remember, boy, I know a little something about traveling on one leg. To get around before that bone heals, you'd have to learn to carry yourself from your shoulders and your arms. You'd have to become strong in new ways. Almost impossible for an adult, never mind a child. I'm not a child! Rolla swept up a silencing hand. So you will go back now and have that broken bone set. But first, I will bind it for you and fix you something better than that branch to walk on. Bola pushed herself off the workbench and left the barn. Peter watched her disappear down a pine-framed path, rolling with a limp so deep that it looked painful. Then he crawled across the floor and stuffed his belongings back into his pack. He pulled himself up the workbench. The effort made him dizzy, and he had to white-knuckle the wood until his head cleared. His foot throbbed fiercely. Then he was upright, and by testing it slightly, he knew he wasn't going to be able to walk on it. Bola would bind it, though. He'd be able to walk on it then. He had to. He hoisted himself onto the bench to wait. He hadn't been able to much see much of the barn the night before, even with the flashlight. Now he took it in. The floor was swept bare, with bags of seed and fertilizer stacked neatly by the door. The place smelled of clean hay and wood, and not a not of animals, although he could hear chickens nearby. The workbench took up a whole gable wall of the barn. It was lined with small tools and pieces of wood. Opposite dark against the bright rectangle of the doorway beside it, draped burlap covered a bunch of things mounted on the wall. Another convulsion of shivers shook him this time, not from cold. The covered mounds were shaped like human heads. Any number of perfectly harmless things could be hanging on a barn wall, 
but what they really looked like were human heads. His throat went dry and his heart began to kick hard. He'd been stupid and careless. Probably the crazy woman was going to let him go. Why wouldn't she let him go? But maybe she wasn't. He found the knife she'd left and wrapped his palm around its smooth grip. Volo had the upper hand in whatever was going to happen between them, but that didn't mean he couldn't defend himself. He slid the blade into his pocket just as she appeared into the doorway. Drink this, she handed Peter a mug and set a bowl beside him. Peter sniffed at the mug. Cider? There's a measure of willow bark in it, so drink it all. Willow bark? Aspirin in the wild. Peter put the mug down. He wasn't going to drink a crazy woman's brew. So yourself, Volo took up a bowl, began stirring the green paste inside with her finger. What's that? Poultice, with arnica for the bruising and comf- comfrey for the broken bone. She gestured for him to prop his foot on the bench. The poultice felt cool and soothing as she eased it over the hot, tight skin. She untied a bandana from her overall strap and wrapped it around his foot, binding it with a second scarf so it, that it felt secure. Then she straightened up, wiping her hands on her overalls. How tall are you? Five foot three. Why? Vola didn't answer. She rummaged through a stack of lumber, brought several long, narrow pieces over to a pair of sawhorses, and began sawing them into paired lengths. The cut wood smelled fresh and clean. As she nailed short boards across the tops of two longer ones, Peter understood. Crutches. She was making him a pair of crutches. The knife he'd stolen grew heavier across his thigh. In a few minutes, Fola had angle braced the top boards and screwed on hand rests. She measured the crutches against him, then saw an inch at the bottom of each. <coughs> then she rolled out an old tire from the corner of the barn. She went to her workbench. She scanned its length. Peter's cheeks burned as she turned to him. Did you take my knife? Her voice had turned dangerous, like something that could burst into flame and peel the roof off the barn. Peter felt dizzy and his heart began to thud again. He pulled the knife out and handed it to her. Why? Peter swallowed hard. His words were gone. Why? Because, okay, because I was afraid you might kill me. Kill you? She eyed him hard. What? Because I live out in the woods, that makes me a murderer? Peter raised a shoulder toward the wall of bladed tools. My tools? I have 20 acres of trees to care for. And I'm a woodcarver. You thought they were weapons? Peter looked away, ashamed. Look at me, boy. He turned back. Maybe you are not wrong, she said, locking his gaze. Maybe you see something. Maybe I am. She raised her hands slowly, pinched her fingers together in front of Peter's face, then suddenly flicked them open. Boom. Dangerous. Like that. No warning. Peter flinched. No, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Vola shot a palm at him and spun away. She cut four strips of rubber from the tire, then wrapped them around the crutch tops and grips and secured them with twine in silence. She held the crutches out. Peter placed one under each arm and eased himself to the floor. It was an immediate comfort to be upright and balanced with his injured foot safely tucked up. Take your weight on your palms. Lift yourself. Don't hang. Plant the crutches, then swing through. Peter began to thank her, but Vola cut him off again. At the end of my road is the highway. Head left, and in a quarter of a mile, you'll come to a gas station. You figure it out from there. She helped him into his backpack and then turned away, picked up a block of wood, and began to shave off slices as if it were no longer in the barn. 
Peter tried to step toward the door. He wobbled a little, but not much. That was a hop, Vola said without looking up. I said, swinging through. Now get out of here. For a moment, Peter didn't move. He didn't know where he was headed, only that it sure wasn't back to his grandfather's. Vola turned and leaned toward him, pinched her fingers together, and shot him out. Shot them out at him again. Go while you're still safe.